this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. So it is the last week of Full Heart. Great game. Now I know this series has been a little more abstract than our past few have been, right? Battles was just straight up about battles, right? And they've sort of been that way lately. Full Heart Great Gain was a little more abstract because it has so much to do with how we handle our blessings, how we handle our blessings. The first week we talked about how we handle our faith when we have a lack of blessings, right? When there doesn't seem to be much, when we feel like we're lacking in something, how do we keep the faith? How do we stay content in those seasons? The second week, we talked about how to honor God with our blessings, the way that he asks to be honored. If we're giving our 10%, we're honoring him with our hearts. We're choosing to place our trust in him. Last week was week three, and Pastor Jason talked about how to remain in Jesus, no matter what's going on in your life, right? He said, clear eyes, clear of religion, clear of things that are going to cloud our relationship with him. Clear eyes, full hearts, how can we lose, right? Now this week, I want to flip the script a little bit on this. And I think so many of us are going through challenges, uh, difficult times, things where we are almost forced to trust God because there's just nowhere else to turn. And I don't know, we've been talking a lot about that particular scenario lately, how to trust God through the storms. But actually, I think it might be a little bit harder to trust God in the good times sometimes because we get to this point where we're a little bit arrogant about our blessings. We think we deserve the things that have been given to us. And so why do we need God, right? It's when you're doing well at work and things are going right with the family and everything's smooth sailing. You're like, oh, I can sleep in today. I don't need to go to church, right? These are the times when we sort of coast in our relationship with God. I heard a lyric in a Hillsong song last week, and actually that third song the band so masterfully played. Can I just brag on them a little bit? They learned that in like negative two seconds. Not even joking. <laughs> they heard it, and then they played it. It was amazing. We're blessed with an amazingly talented worship team here. But they played that song because I asked them to play it, because there's this lyric that has been bouncing around in my head for two weeks. And it was in the song that we sang today. It said, I plundered blessing till I've been desperate to find redemption. I plundered blessing. It's really those two words that have been stuck in my head. And I think it's the perfect conclusion to full heart great gain because it's more about how we handle our faith when we're not struggling, when we're not being challenged. That matters. And so what does it mean to plunder blessing? And I looked in the word, went to the word to try to find some concepts about this. When I think of plundering, I think of pirates, right? I plundered and pillaged and stole. That's kind of what this is. We, <coughs> there's a lot of examples in the word, but none so perfect for this particular concept in this series than King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. So we're actually going to go there and we're going to read this example today. And we're going to look at this concept in a very specific context 
and the conversations between Saul and Samuel and what was going on here. And then we're going to take a step back and look at it broadly because it works both ways. Now, in 1 Samuel 15, just to give you a little context about where we're at, the, the Israelite nation had decided they no longer wanted God, the perfect, all-knowing creator of heaven and earth, to be their king anymore. They wanted a human king, right? Do you remember this? I preached it a few uh, months ago, maybe. Actually, and the, the title of the sermon was called Be Careful What You Pray For. Because <laughs> the people of Israel asked God and asked God and asked God and asked God, we want a human king, like all the other nations around us. We don't want you as our king anymore. We want a human king. And God warned them, you're going to regret this. <clears throat> I'm the provider, and I want to give you the things that you want, but you're going to regret this one. I'm just warning you. And over and over again, they said, that's what we want. And so he gave it to them. He gave them a human king, and he anointed King Saul as king of Israel. And the text says that he was tall and handsome. He looked the part. He may not have been from the best family, but he looked like a king. And Israel was happy. He was anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did well for a while. He did. But not that long of a while. Because here in 1 Samuel 15, I was singing too much this weekend. <clears throat> Hoping my voice can hold out. 1 Samuel 15, we see him start to fall off the wagon. Things are good. He is king. He has everything he could ever want. God has given him victory after victory on the battlefield. The people love him. Things are good. And this is where we see Saul struggling. And so, first one, we're going to read a little bit of this story, and I'll give you some context as we go along. One day, Samuel, who was a prophet of the Lord, a really good guy. Samuel was an amazing prophet for so long to Israel, always spoke the word of the Lord. And so one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. It's almost like he's saying, hey, wake up, pay attention. This is the boss talking. Remember the boss, the guy who set you up in charge? This is the guy that's giving you this command. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Does it sound like there's wiggle room in this command? It really isn't. He's very clear. God gives him the who, what, where, why, and when. Now go, completely destroy the Amalekite nation. Down to the babies, and we'll get there in a second. So Saul mobilized his army at Talim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live, or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. And so the Kenites packed up and left. Just keep this in mind. It's going to be important when we look at the more broad picture. The Kenites had a chance to leave. They were living among the Amalekites. It was no secret that the Israelites were coming. They made it clear, you can get out now. 
if you want to, and if you're willing to leave behind your Amalekite identity, leave with the Kenites and get out. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag. Was he supposed to capture Agag? Was that in the command? Or was it take no captives and kill everyone? He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. Was that in the command? Were they supposed to keep anything? Or were they supposed to kill everything? Specifically mentions cattle, sheep, goats, lambs. Everything was supposed to go, but they kept everything that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. I want to stop here for just a second because if Saul had remembered who was in charge, this whole mess may not have happened. If he had remembered that God put him in charge, that God anointed him as king, that God was in charge of the entire Israelite nation, if he had remembered to put God in his rightful place in his life and in the life of his nation, he might not have messed up here. Here's where we get off on our, our path with God a lot, and we think we know better, right? God must have made a mistake in his command. There must be a little wiggle room there. When he said go and kill everyone, he didn't actually mean the king. Like, really? We question it. We, we saw this in our Between Two Gardens series with Adam and Eve, right? She began to question God's word and convinced herself there was some wiggle room there. There's not wiggle room. My husband and I have this little argument sometimes back and forth because I tend to see the world as very gray. There are shades of gray. It's just things aren't always black and white. You know, God has mercy and and all these things. And and he's like, nope, life is black and white. You obey or you don't. That's the end of the story, right? Sometimes God is very black and white. Either you obeyed or you didn't. There's no wiggle room. And he gave him the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. He said, go the Amalekite nation, all of them go now because they oppose Israel. He gave him all the information he needed. Saul had no excuse. And here's why this is important. Leadership carries a weight to it. When there are people following you, you're not making decisions just for yourself and yourself alone. There are people watching and following. When I became lead pastor of this church, I made a commitment to you all that I would go first, that I'm going to be self-disciplined in my life, that I'm going to learn and then bring you all along with me, right? I'm not going to push you ahead to do something I haven't already done or live a life that's contrary to what I'm preaching. I'm going to push myself so that hopefully you do too. There's a, a weight to leadership, and I don't know whether... You're a leader at work or not. You're a leader in life or not. You probably lead somebody somewhere. You have kids following you. You're the leader of your household, your family. Your other family members are watching you. Whoever it is you have influence over in your life, you're leading to some extent, and they're watching your behavior. This is a a very sort of anti-American 
sentiment because as Americans we tend to be very individualistic and we make decisions based on ourselves and who cares what everybody else says, right? Sort of bred into our culture. The problem with that is there are other people watching. You have a right to your own opinion and to make your own decisions, but there are others watching. Jesus took it very seriously. He said, if you lead a little one of mine astray, what happens? What should happen? It would be better for you, he said, to tie a millstone around your neck and be dropped to the bottom of the sea than for you to lead a little one astray. He took it seriously. When we don't take our influence seriously, we mess other people up too. By the end of this, you'll see just how messed up Saul made this. He only disobeyed a little bit, right? It's only a little bit. He killed everyone except one guy. I mean, that's mostly obeying. Yeah? We only kept the good stuff. There was probably a lot of bad stuff they did follow. We only, we only bent the rules a little bit. He mostly obeyed. He wasn't keeping the goal in mind. And he wasn't understanding who God is. That he was the commander of the army, not Saul. That he told him to go and attack that nation, not Saul. And we can see this as we continue reading verse 10. The Lord said to Samuel. Now Samuel was not there. Remember, Samuel is the prophet. <clears throat> but he says to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. Ouch. For he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Did God see? Did he make allowance here in what he just said? Did he say, he mostly obeyed my command? He refused to obey my command. With God, in this case, it was black and white. He refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. As a pastor, I can identify with that a little bit. When you put time into someone and counsel them and try to help them and give them all the biblical advice that you can and they still choose to do something else. I've had those nights where it's crying out to God all night on behalf of somebody else. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself, then went to Gilgal. Really? Did you tell yourself to go attack the nation of Amalek? Saul, did you do this all on your own strength? But when the pastor's not around, he's making monuments to himself. By the way, he's not even making monuments to the guys who probably did most of the work. The, the general soldiers, the 210,000 guys that followed him into battle. The monument's not to them. Monument's certainly not to God who told him he would have victory over this nation. He made a monument to himself. You can see where his head is at during this, right? Made a monument to himself. And so when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. He's all happy with himself. May the Lord bless you, he says. Now the pastor talk comes out, right? It's not me anymore. May the Lord bless you, he says. I have carried out the Lord's command. Oh, the pastor talk. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I know you're not pastors, but I have been a pastor for 10 years now. But before that, I mean, I've always been a goody-two-shoes, to be honest. I've 
always followed Jesus and went to public school and it was not always easy and I got made fun of a lot. But people knew and they changed who they were around me. They edited themselves. Maybe some of you are in a very non-Christian environment, but they know who you are and you get this a little bit. People, you know, cuss around you and then say, oh, sorry, I know you're not, you know, into that. They edit themselves around you and so they're not always themselves. And I, I hate to tell you this, but we can tell. <laughs> I can tell when you're editing yourself around me just for my sake. And I have to say, I, you, it's not necessary. I love you anyway. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. It's okay to be yourself. In fact, I would rather you be yourself. You don't have to put on the, like sometimes people come to me and say, you know, I feel God calling me to quit the worship team. Okay, okay, why? Well, I just don't have the time. <laughs> like, you don't have to tell me God called you to it. Just tell me you don't have the time. It's okay. I'm not, it's okay, right? But here's where pastors have a choice, and you can see this in Samuel. They can either play the game right along, the religious game. Yeah, okay, that, you know, I'm sure God told you that. And <laughs> God bless you, brother, you know? Or they can call you out. Are you just being lazy? Or are you offended at somebody? Or are you just scared? Right? It's some, we have some discernment sometimes and we actually know what's going on. And we can either play along or we can call you out. And there's risk both ways. Pray for your pastors, can I just tell you? Because there's, there's so many little decisions like this. And every week when it comes to pastoring people, you can call them out and maybe lose them or not call them out and maybe lose them. And the decisions that you're making aren't just for the here and now, it's for eternity. Pray for discernment for your pastors and for anybody that mentors or ministers to people. But Pastor Sam, in this case, Samuel, he's not playing today. He just spent all night on his knees in front of God, not eating anything and certainly not sleeping, crying out to God. And he came to get a straight story from the king that he anointed, right? And he, so he says, remember, Saul had just said, I've carried out the Lord's command. Samuel says, uh, then what is all that bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle I hear? Saul, I can literally hear your disobedience. You, you want to tell me again? You carried out the Lord's command? Really? There should be no sheep. Why are the sheep happening, right? So Samuel demands this, and he says, yeah, you know, it's true. The army spared the best of the sheep. The army spared the best of the sheep. A minute ago, he won the victory and was building monuments to himself, but now the pastor calls him out, and it's the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord. We, we have destroyed everything else. <coughs> oh, the army did that, Right? This is why pride is a monster. It gets you to do things that are counterproductive to your own health and well-being for the sake of yourself. It, it turns the world upside down. It just doesn't even make sense. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Stop lying. Stop lying to yourself, right? Stop making excuses. Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. That gets Saul's attention. What did the Lord tell you? 
And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Samuel knew the command inside and out. If Saul had, maybe he would have avoided this. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? It's amazing how God can call us out at a heart level. Right? He's not even talking, I mean, he did talk about the actions, but first he talked about his heart. He said, although you may think so little of yourself, did it seem like Saul thought little of himself? He built a monument to himself. On the outside, pride makes us look like we think very much of ourselves. But in reality, arrogance is always born out of insecurity. Saul was posturing, making himself look better than he actually thought that he was deep down. And God calls him out on a heart level. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted in verse 20. I carried out the mission he gave me, lying to himself and the pastor right now. I brought back King Agag, but, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plundered a sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. They brought it to sacrifice, so I thought it was okay. Right? I only bent the rules a little bit. So Saul, you thought... You thought it would be better. Didn't listen to what God said. You thought maybe he made a mistake when he told you. I see. Does, does God make mistakes? God is intentional. God is strategic. He is without fault. He does not misspeak, does he? When he says something, he's saying something. When he does something, he's doing something. He did not misspeak, Saul. And if you thought he did, that betrays your heart, not his. It shows that you don't fully and completely trust the word of the Lord. You thought you could make your own rules. You're really bad at making your own rules. Can I just tell you? Saul was bad. We're still bad. The creator of heaven and earth. The guy who set up the universe, who created you in the womb, who knew you before your mother knew you, who knows your gifts and talents and put them within you. He also knows your faults, by the way. That is the guy who makes the rules. Wouldn't you rather he make the rules for your life? He made the rules for the universe. Of course he knows you better than you know yourself. He should be making the rules. We're not good at it. And Samuel replies... What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Not as a person, let me just clarify, but as a leader who's qualified to lead others. He's rejected you as king. There are some doors you cannot close, some doors you open that you cannot 
close. God will forgive you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Doesn't mean he goes back on, on some of his decisions about consequences, which Saul actually says. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Now the truth comes out. When the consequences handed down, then the truth comes out. But we do this too all the time. I don't know about you, but it rings true in my life. I want to make excuse after excuse. I want to reason it away, and then the consequence comes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I messed up, right? I shouldn't have done that. That was, I'm so sorry. And this is where Saul finally sees his mistake, but Samuel's trying to show him why rush for the plunder? Why rush for the plunder? When God has blessed you already, why plunder those blessings? Why try to take it too far? God wanted to give you the victory. He wanted to set you up and make your name great. He wants that for you. You didn't have to go making your own monuments. It's really close, by the way, to what we talked about last week a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar setting up a statue to himself and making everybody bow down to it. Real close, right? You made a monument to yourself when it was God's victory. You fundamentally don't understand your role as leader, Saul. You're not getting it. You are supposed to be a conduit for God's blessing to the nation of Israel, not God's blessing to Saul. Why rush for the plunder? Why rush for the plunder? Why not just trust that God is the one blessing you. You don't have to bless him. I love that song. Another lyric in that song that we sang today was about, it's, I think it said, who am I that my praises, who am I that your glory needs my praises, right? God doesn't need our worship, our sacrifices. He doesn't need the sacrifices of the fat of rams and whatever he was going to sacrifice. He doesn't need that. Our worship is for us. It's to remind us who he is. He's not insecure. God is not insecure. He does not need our praises. We need our praises because it puts him in his right place in our perspective. God didn't ask for the sacrifices that Saul was going to give. It wasn't for God. It was for Saul. Saul wanted to have a big party. That's what it came down to. He wanted to build a monument to himself and have a big party because he couldn't trust that God had his best interest at heart. That God wanted to make his name great. And this is what plundering blessings comes down to. We do this all the time. God gives us a little bit and we think we should cheat and steal and manipulate our way into a lot more. Instead of just waiting for the blessing of God, trusting that he has our best interest at heart. He does. He wants good things for you. And in Saul's case, he let the people talk him into it. He allowed the praises of the people to push him into a really bad decision because he was insecure. He didn't understand who he was. He has... Um, in my Bold and Brave group, Wednesday Night Women's group, we, a while ago, we came up with this practice, this um, exercise where we wrote down who we are. 
Because if you know who you are, you also know who you are not, right? Helps define you a little bit. If Saul knew who he was, if he fundamentally understood that he was a servant of the Most High God, it would have also told him he's not a servant or he's not a slave of the people. He's a servant of them on behalf of God. But he's not a slave to them. He doesn't have to do everything that they want. When you define who you are, it defines who you are not. The first one on here says, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is a copy. I keep the original on my desk, so I'm always aware of who I am because it guides my decision-making. If I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, I know I am not a disciple of you all, for example. I'm not a disciple of whoever the latest celebrity is. I'm not a disciple of Beyonce, right? If she tells me to do something that Jesus isn't telling me to do, I'm a disciple of his. Yeah? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I live my life every day to please him is number two. So if something I am doing is not pleasing to him, I should probably change that thing because that's not who I am. These are non-negotiables. You know, it's not on here. I prefer vanilla ice cream, right? It's not a non-negotiable in my life. These are things that I'm not going to change about myself. Non-negotiables defines who I am and who I am not. If Saul had understood who he is and remembered who blesses who. God doesn't need your sacrifices. He needs your obedience. He's trying to bless you. You know, we're not alone in our doubt of this, though. Even the disciples asked for more sometimes, more blessings. Give us more, even though we haven't deserved it. In Mark 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, he, they came over and they spoke to Jesus. They said, teacher, we want you to do us a favor. And remember, Jesus was off healing the sick and giving to the poor and preaching the gospel and saving people. And they're like, he says, what is your request? In verse 7, they were like, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, on your right and the other on your left. They wanted to be honored. That's the favor they were asking of Jesus. And Jesus literally says to them, you guys don't know what you're asking. Because of my father's kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You're going to have to die to a whole lot of yourself to get that place of honor. Because that's how God's honor works. You give of yourself. You serve of yourself. You don't go taking it for yourself. You're going to have to follow me. Jesus says this to James and John. You're going to have to follow me to the cross, to the torture. You don't know what the Son of Man is going to have to endure yet, but you will. And to get to that place of blessing, you're going to have to follow me there. James and John actually say, yes, we're willing to do that. And honestly, most of the disciples that followed Jesus died martyr deaths, horrific deaths. And most of them wouldn't even allow themselves to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was because they weren't worthy of it. They died other horrible ways. And Jesus said, it's not my place to give you those positions, though. But to get to the place of honor, you have to serve people to that degree. They didn't know what they were asking. When we promote ourselves above where God's willing to promote us, we don't know what we're asking 
We don't understand it, and we're not trusting God's perspective. I feel like every week through this series I've been saying, you have to have an eternal perspective because God's ways are so much higher. Trust him. He sees more than you see. Right? He might, we might see today. He sees tomorrow. We might see to the hill. He sees over the hill. He's got this. Trust him. Matthew 6, 2, Jesus said, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. When we build monuments to ourselves, as Saul did, that's all the reward you will ever get. Can't you trust that God has a better reward in mind for you? God wants to bless you and give you the things that you want. Finally, Saul seems to get it in verse 25. He says, but now please forgive my sin. He's begging Samuel. Right? Even in this, he's betraying that he doesn't actually understand his relationship with God because he's talking to Samuel and not running to the temple and talking straight to God. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. He's desperate at this point. He's trying to hold on to power, not necessarily his relationship with God, because he's not going to God, he's going to Samuel. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him and Saul worshiped the Lord. What is more pleasing to God? Your sacrifices, your blind religion, jumping through the hoops, or your obedience to his voice. Last week, Jason said, God doesn't want your blind, empty religion, right? It's worthless. He wants your obedience. Now, there are pieces of ritual, of religion, that Jesus built into our church culture, like communion and baptism, but they're always meant to bring you back into relationship, to bring you back into relationship to remind you he built them into our everyday life like communion where we pray over our meals together and we thank jesus for providing for us for his sacrifice they're meant to bring us back into communion but we think that just showing up at church every week right paying our tithes and and then you know once we do that we can go home and be a mean tyrant to our families or cunning and shrewd and backstabbing at work we can do all of these hypocritical things if just we go to church and we just pay our tithes right that's not what god wants he wants your heart we have to go back to why god gave us brains right he wants us to use them. He wants us to ask him, why would you tell me to do that? Obey, but also think about honestly why to question it. You know, I did this in this particular scenario, and I, I told you we would zoom out, right? Look at the specific scenario and then look at the 
larger scenario. Uh, anybody else have a, a small problem with God's command here? I mean, God basically authorized the genocide, right? He said, go and wipe out the Amalekite nation. The babies were specifically mentioned. The innocent animals. Why, God? Right? Saul, I think, just said, it's just to glorify my name. This is why. But honestly, why? And I looked into it. What we need to understand is that God is a promise keeper. When he says he's going to do something, he not only makes promises, but he has the ability to keep them, right? When he said to the Israelites, I'm leading you out of slavery, you will be free, and they came to a dead end, the Red Sea, he moved the Red Sea, right? He watches his word and makes sure that it comes to pass, and he has the ability to do so because he is God. And so when he told the Israelites, I will protect you, I will keep you. I will uphold you with my right hand. He had to keep that promise. He has the ability to keep that promise. And what we see of the Amalekites is that throughout the word, the, the books right before this in 1 Samuel, they are constantly coming after Israel. Numbers 14, 45, they attack Israel again while they're still in the desert. In Judges 3:13, they join in with the Moabites in attacking Israel. In Judges 6, 3, they invade Israel whenever the Israelites planted their crops. It actually, the text says, and together with the Midianites, they devour the produce of the land and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. They keep doing this to Israel over and over again. Later in Judges 6 and 7, they invade again and are fought off by Gideon. Remember the Gideon story? The enemy is the Amalekites. They keep showing that generation after generation, they are at war with Israel and with God. The Amalekites were actually descendants of Esau's grandson, Amalek. Remember the Esau and Jacob story? Esau literally changed out his birthright of God's blessing and provision to be in God's family as God's chosen people. He traded that for a bowl of soup. And he passed that attitude on to his son, his grandson, and generations after. As descendants of Esau, the Amalekites had the opportunity to be in his family, to be in the nation of Israel. And over and over and over again, they choose not to be and to attack the nation of Israel, to come against God's blessing, because they know better. It was an act of war over and over and over, and it was a conflict that the Israelites didn't start, but God wanted to finish. Saul stood in the way of that, in the way of his own blessing. That's what pride does. It stops our own blessing for generations after, because Saul saved one guy, King Agag, remember? Later on in the book of Esther, we see Haman the Agagite. Does that sound familiar? 600 years later, Haman the Agagite tries to kill all the Jews. The text says he sought to kill the entire Jewish nation. And a woman, Esther, was raised up to save them again. 
God was trying to save them for generations, to protect them and to keep his promise of holding them up with his right hand, setting them on a rock in a place of safety, as the book of Psalms says. And Saul, in his disobedience, stood in the way of his own blessing because he couldn't understand the full picture. We constantly do this. We think we know better and we stand in the way of our own blessing. The Amalekites had a chance. They chose a national identity of hate. And God said, that's enough of abuse. It stops here. You have to be wiped out. Because he knew that generation after generation would continue the abuse. They could have slipped off with the Kenites. Remember, I told you to remember that part. Saul warned a group of people that were living among the Amalekites. He said, get out. Get out. Take your families and go. I don't want to kill you. I'm here for a mission and a purpose. Get out. It wasn't a secret. Any Amalekite that wanted to change their national identity and slip off and be a Kenite could have been saved. They chose to stay, act on their hate and abuse, and try to fight back. On generation after generation, they kept doing it, even though they were completely wiped out except for one guy. There's actually an article in the sermon notes on the app today that you can find out so much more about this. I'm trying to sum it up in as little time as possible, but it's an amazing story of how God keeps his promises. It's not genocide, it's protection. And Saul stood in the way of that because of his disobedience. The idea here is to be so obedient, you don't have to know the full story because you trust God. We keep trying to take back control from God, keep it in our own hands, but we're not qualified. We don't understand the bigger picture. We're human beings that serve an amazing, infinite God that is without fault of any kind. He is perfect. And he knows so much more than we do. He created us after all. And he wants the best for you. We have to trust him. Here's the good news. A full heart great game. This entire series has been about changing the things that we want. And, and the good news of the series is you can have everything you want. You can. But it's not about adjusting everything you have to fit your wants. It's about adjusting what you want to what God wants. He wants good for you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to make your name great. He wants to give you more blessing than you even know what to do with as we studied in Malachi 3. He wants to open up the windows of heaven for you. But he cares more about you spiritually than physically. And if giving you blessings isn't going to serve you spiritually, he's going to serve you as a person and hold that back. When he doesn't do something, he's also doing something. He's an intentional and strategic God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all that stuff will be added to you as well. Jesus said the lilies of the field are dressed beautifully, and the birds they're given everything that they need to survive. How much more is your heavenly father going to want to provide for you? 
He wants to give you good things. He wants to. He wants to clothe you and give you good food on the table and put a roof over your head. He wants to give you all the things that you need, but he wants you to seek first his kingdom and let him take care of the rest. Now, I said the very first week of the series, it's going to be about transforming the way that we think. That's what the word does. Transforms the way that we think. But we have to start looking at our blessings in life and the lack thereof as God doing something. And we have to look at them as tools in our hands to serve Him, not ourselves. But what can I do for you with this blessing, God? How can I honor you with it? Not puff myself up and build monuments to myself, but to you. How can my life? point others to you. It's a bold prayer. To pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me see the world around me. Let me see the people around me the way that you see them. It's bold because God's love, we sing a song called Reckless Love, right? His love doesn't look out for what it can get. And it gets hurt a lot. Because humans are flawed and they'll betray you but it's the most godly thing you can do is to love somebody who doesn't love you back it's who he is can't help himself but love us he's not angry with you or upset with you he loves you unconditionally he may not set you up as a leader but he loves you and he wants you back he's constantly calling us back and he will provide for your every need if you can just trust him god help us trust you on a deeper level than ever help us be a church of people who can't help ourselves but trust you want a relationship with you above everything else we want to understand your heart Help us be the vibrant, passionate, selfless church you've called us to be. Because it's the only way we're going to have the influence on the world. To help show them the gospel. Father, I pray that today we would learn to listen to your voice carefully. That we would obey your voice carefully. Remember who's in charge and who is not. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 